And it's Encounter with God time here on The Breakfast Show. We're about to get into our Bible study. 20 million people all studying the same passage of the Bible at the same time. Of course, today we are looking at the story of the woman at the well. So we kind of touched on this a little bit yesterday. Mm-hmm. And we're going to look at it in more depth today. Uh, so, Angela, let's go over to John chapter 4. And we will start reading in verse 3. All right. This is definitely one of my favorite stories. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Okay, let's stop there for a moment. Let's have a little bit of a chat about what we've got uh, so far. And um, in this story of the woman at the well, we need to have a bit of background information because, you know, why would it be strange to travel through Samaria? Why would it be strange to stop at a well in Samaria? Why would it be strange to talk to a Samaritan woman how did they even how did she even know that he was Jewish and she was Samaritan? Yes. A whole bunch of questions that come out of this. So Jesus is all about crossing those boundaries of bigotry, constantly trying to break down barriers between people. That is what Jesus is so good at when he's here on earth. He's trying to bring people together and take out all those walls of separation. And so here he is basically crossing I don't know how many I don't like do not by the Jewish culture. Do not, do not, do not. And Jesus is like, all right, let's keep walking. <laughs> yes, indeed. So you've got, and, and this is, oh, we've got a couple of text messages uh, here. Um, yeah, coming through from one of our listeners. Angela, you're doing a great job and is much appreciated. Aww. So there you go. Praise God. <laughs> uh, and and uh, from earlier on this morning, um, there you go. The truth about COVID-19. That's what it's all about in relationship to our discussion earlier on. I think that was in relationship to the conversation we're having about um, the uh, facial recognition software. Mm. And so, COVID-19 yeah. may be an excuse to use it, unfortunately. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, you know, actually that kind of connects a little bit because I don't think Jesus would care if you had tracked where he had gone. He'd been really quite proud to be like, yes. I was in Samaria. And I think when I, when I start to feel nervous about, oh, what will the government find on my social media? I'm like, you know what? I hope they find that I love Jesus. I hope that they see that everywhere I went, I wanted to show Jesus. I don't want to be ashamed of quoting Bible verses or favorite uplifting spiritual quotes. I don't want to be afraid of that. I want to be proud. And if that's what they like, that's what I'm accused of, then praise God that I get to stand for him. And so I think that's what Jesus is like. All right. Yes. I am talking to a Samaritan woman. All right, yes, I am in Samaria. And yes, I am a Jew. I really, really like what you just said right there. So basically, in the world that we live in right now, if you look at the, you know, the, the, the public stated business model, for instance, of Facebook, um, they publicly state that they are there to mine your data so that they can more effectively advertise to you. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, this, is the, this is their business model. So they look into your personal life to learn as much as they can about your personal life so that they can figure out, okay, this person would like this ad and that person would like that ad. And of course, you know, people are in business today. We use this all the time when we ran the end.digital 
um, we were able to target the advertising for that uh, by saying we want uh, to advertise to people in New South Wales. Uh, we want to advertise to people in these portions of New South Wales. Uh, we want to advertise to people who are interested in Bible prophecy. And, you know, you can, you can narrow it down to as much as we want to advertise to everybody in Australia who is interested in the mark of the beast. Mm. And we can do that level of targeted advertising. And so what that means is that somewhere in the world right now, there is a computer that contains an algorithm, and that algorithm is building a picture of you. Mm. Now, wouldn't it be disappointing if it did actually build a picture of you? Oh, it would be terrible if it did a full picture of me. I am not a nice person. <laughs> wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be nice... If instead of building a picture of you, mm. it built a picture of Jesus Christ. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> and this is what we should be aiming for in our life. Mm -hmm. Have a look at your social media. Have a look at what is happening in your life. Have a look at the posts that you are making and stop and ask yourself the question, is the algorithm building a picture of me or is the algorithm building a picture of Jesus Christ? Yeah, because it's definitely showing what I care about and what I value. Yes. A hundred percent. Now, the other thing that I want to hone in on this story right now is that if Jesus was here in Australia right now, where would he go? And I would say Victoria because hmm. that's the place where nobody wants to go right now because it's <laughs> just that's where, you know, um, we're being told that, you know, COVID is going just like wildfire. Mm. And, uh, you know, for the Jews at that particular time, Samaria was the place where nobody wanted to go. For different reasons. Yeah. So I might slightly disagree with you because I think that Jesus, though he did cross boundaries and he definitely did cross laws, he also respected laws too. Okay. And so right. Victoria is closed for a good reason. You are correct. But I, I think Jesus would enter into the areas that we don't want to go into Australia. Maybe there's poor slums in Sydney. I don't, I'm not really super familiar with Australia to know the super bad parts. I think I've heard that Cabramatta can be a dangerous place i don't really know um but definitely i think those places the ones that were like mm, that's where the juggies hang out and we aren't really comfortable going there that would be poof that's where jesus is okay that's an interesting challenge for each one of us and you're right jesus would obey the law and um and, and would uphold the law while ever it did not you know was not a violation of conscience Mm. Of course, if Jesus was here, I think we would let him across the border because like, okay, go, go heal. There, <laughs> go heal. Um, let's get rid of this thing and um, problems are solved. But of course, we wouldn't do that because we would probably be like the Jewish people and say, well, he's just a human being. He didn't look like any other human being. Why should we let him across the border? Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's a little bit of the, the tragedy of us as human beings is that we do not recognize divinity when divinity arrives. So why does Jesus here have no shame about going into Samaria? Ah, this is such a this is such a cool story because as you say, he's breaking all of the taboos by going there. And you kind of think, you know, what were the disciples even thinking when he said when he went through Samaria rather than going around it? And then he sent them to buy food in a Samaritan city. I mean, this is going to be quite a cleansing process for them. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. So they're going to go to this Samaritan city. They're going to buy food in the Samaritan city. They're going to have to cleanse, you know, ritually, ritually cleanse that food and then ritually cleanse themselves after having been in the presence of Samaritans. They're going to have to find some way of washing all of the Samaritan off them. Yes. Uh, so this is this. It's a lot of work. It was a lot of work for a Jewish person to associate socially or even at a business level with a Samaritan. 
only basically only if they had to if they had yeah. no other option and only like through business there's no way that you would ask a samaritan for a favor and that's what Jesus is doing and what not he, he starts by having even a conversation i mean this was something you did not do with samaritans yeah you have a conversation with samaritans and definitely not a male jew to a female samaritan one-on-one there by the well themselves. I mean, you know, what are the, what's the potential for a scandal right here? Yeah. You know, the, the list sort of goes on and on and on of all of the taboos that Jesus is breaking in this particular occasion. Uh, and is there, there is a lesson for us right here today because we need to stop and think about, okay, who is it that we don't want to minister to? Hmm. Who is it that we don't want to be a blessing to? And as Christians, we're going to say, oh, no one, you know, we, we, we love everybody. But the reality is that there are going to be times in your life when it's like, yeah, you know what? I really don't want to minister to that person today. Yeah. And that's where Jesus went. And he went there for a specific reason. And he sent his disciples away, I believe, for a specific reason, because he knew this woman was going to come. All right. What is unusual about the time of day in which this woman arrives? Well, it's afternoon, which means it's the hottest part of the day. And I don't know about you, but personally, when my parents asked me to weed the garden, you know, they asked me to do it in the morning because they knew that in the, in the afternoon it's the hottest, it's the most miserable to be outside working. And, you know, I'd procrastinate and not go weed because I didn't want to. And then guess who was doing it in the hottest, most miserable part of the day? Me. Um, and so here's this woman having to carry a very heavy water pot, which is an essential part of everyday life. And she's doing it at a very difficult time, which means that there'd be no one else there. And I think that's the key is she was looking for a time that nobody else would be there. So nobody else could bother her. So the water pot, you know, and we can, we can, you know, a lot of people buy water today and those big blue kind of um, water drum container things. They're pretty heavy when you pick one up. They've got a nice handle on them though, but they're pretty heavy when you pick them up and put them into your water cooler or what they are, whatever it is, you know, you, you, those big ones that you turn upside down and, and, uh, and, and plonk in there. It probably a similar amount of water that this woman would be gathering because it is the water that she needs for a 24-hour period. Mm-hmm. So it's a significant amount of water. But her pot is going to be as heavy as one of our full plastic um, water containers today is when it is full. And she's going to double the weight of that by filling it with water. And she's doing this, you know, as you say, in the middle of the day. All right, let's, let's look a little bit more why she goes there in the middle of the day. The most inconvenient time to go and get water and why she goes there by herself. Well, it implies that she's not comfortable with people, right? And um, normally women were the one to go get water. And um, for some reason, she doesn't want to be around other women. And as we read on in the story, it's because of the life that she has chosen to live or also maybe been a victim. We don't know. Both of it seems possibly that she could have been a victim, but also definitely, definitely her own choices as well played a big role. And so she's definitely avoiding probably the gossip and uh, the crude stares and the crude remarks too yeah so whichever way we look at it her life is a train wreck yes and and it's a long history of just one wreckage after another after another let's read a few more verses let's see what happens all right for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food then the woman of samaria said to him how is it that you being a jew asked to drink from me a samaritan woman for jews have no dealings with samaritans jesus answered and said to her if you knew the gift of god and who it is who says to you give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water 
Then the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Okay, yeah, that's a great place to stop right there because you have to place yourself in the shoes of the woman. So she's heading to the well. She sees a guy sitting by the well. That's a little bit uncomfortable. She's a woman. She's vulnerable. She's by herself. Um, and there's a guy there who is completely by himself as well. Obviously, this particular well doesn't have a communal, communal water-drawing bucket that everybody uses. Everybody brings their own bucket for whatever reason. Maybe this was because a, a communal one would be regularly stolen. We don't know. Um, but she's bringing her own, her own water container. And when she gets closer, she notices that the person who is sitting there is a Jew. She probably would have picked this by his dress, uh, because, you know, from a national perspective, they would not have looked, you know, distinctly different from each other. And so she notices he's a Jew and it's like, well, okay, at least I don't have to have a conversation. And so she'd be feeling comfortable about going up, doing her thing, getting her water. She's not going to have a conversation. And then the Jewish guy asks her for a drink. Yes. Okay. Which is a which is um, a huge compliment. It's a huge in that culture to to have somebody ask you something is like a privilege to serve. They go out of their way to to serve somebody like water. They would definitely and so for this man to be doing that, it means he respects her. This is something that we often miss in our Australian culture. Is the hospitality culture of the Middle East. Now, there is no nowhere, you know, there are, there are some cultures within the world that are legendary for their hospitality, but there is nowhere in the world that has a hospitality culture like the Middle East. Because not only does it... Basically, it, it, it works like this. When you show hospitality to another person, you are culturally duty-bound to then protect that person with your own life. That's how far the hospitality culture goes. Yes. And so when you ask someone else for hospitality, you are in effect placing your life in their hands and saying, I respect you enough to trust you with my life, with my defense. Yes. You know, this is a level of hospitality that unless you've lived there, which I haven't, but I've got good friends who have, we just don't understand. Yeah, that's why David in the Psalms 23 says in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's because it's talking right there about the protection that he will provide in the enemies because that's what they would do, that they would provide protection if they came to their table. Yes. And we miss a lot of this when we don't understand what it, what it is that is actually taking place. And so, you know, you read the psalm, it's like, well, you know, I'm surrounded by enemies. They're about to kill me. Um, all right, and God's going to turn up to defend me. And he sets a table full of food. Mm-hmm. You know, to us, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, no, go out there and kill my enemies. Whereas by setting a table of food, what God is saying is, don't worry about that. Sit down, relax, enjoy your food, and I will go out there and take care of it for you. Yeah, incredible picture. Beautiful picture. It is. It is. <laughs> Absolutely. And it also explains some of the weird stories like, you know, the story of Lot who takes the culture too far, mm. you've got the visitors to turn up. He offers them hospitality 
but then he's prepared to you know to give the lives of himself and his daughters to protect them who those who have come under his roof because they have shared of his food and you know this is a culture that still exists in the middle east today if you are offered food if you're offered hospitality by somebody it is an incredible um privilege yeah and then of course if 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 you uh you know this is one of the things that we had to to learn when we were traveling through the middle east i remember traveling through iran and our tour leader had to explain to us they you know because she'd spent time in new zealand and understood that we had a very different culture and he said she said on our first day people are going to offer you food you're going to have to have this happen every day they're going to see you as a foreigner they're going to offer you food and that is a tremendous compliment now if you don't want to eat that food you've got to follow the rule of threes and so you have to say no three times well if you don't want to eat the food that they are hmm. offering to you and it, and it was exactly what would happen we'd be walking down the street people would see us they would see that we recognize that we were a foreigner and they would walk up to us to offer us food wow and if you didn't want to eat it you had to you had to say no three times it was just the most remarkable experience of hospitality that i have ever ever seen in and my western life. culture could learn something there is something so beautiful oh. in hospitality there is so much that we could learn from the Into Middle homes, East. into hearts. Yes, absolutely. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, let's, um, let's, let's go to our Bible study. Yeah, let's mm. get back to our, our um, story. Let's start reading where we were. Okay. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You know, just just listening to that story, just sitting here and listening it while you were reading it, and how she, you know, launches into this argument, and we did talk about this before, she deflects by starting a theological argument, which was the great debate as to which mountain the temple should be on. You know, and it kind of reminds me of Christianity and Islam today where there's the great debate as to which was the child of promise, Ishmael or Isaac. Mm. You know, and the reality is that we need to be, while, while we debate these things, we forget the author of the story, yeah. which is Jesus Christ, which is God. And so we start debating theology because it makes us feel better because we don't have to confront the really confronting realities of what Jesus has to say about giving our lives to him and being surrendered to him. Um, and we don't have to confront our weaknesses and our sins. And really, this is what the the woman does. You know, she's deflecting, and Jesus is like, "Yeah, you've got, uh, you've had five husbands, and now you're living with somebody that you're not married to." So, you know, a woman whose life is a train wreck, 
and within the society that she was living, a woman who has become an outcast. Yeah. Uh, I find it interesting that after five husbands, she's still able to, you know, to hook up with somebody. But it kind of, you know, it kind of gives an impression that these, none of these are good relationships and the one that she's in right now is probably not a healthy relationship either. No. You know, somebody who goes through five different relationships like that is not somebody who is making, you know, good decisions about relationships. Yeah, this woman is actually extremely empty, which is why I think Jesus uses the example of the water. Because this woman has a hole in her heart. We don't know the beginning of her story. We just know the choices that she's made in the last years and with five husbands. That's quite a few years representation there. And so she has this God-sized hole inside of her and she's just desperately looking for love and she keeps trying to fill it with man after man after man and it's just not working. So here Jesus comes with an an example of, not an example, with the truth, sorry, um, about the fact that he is the living water. And guess what? Every time that woman goes to the well, she can't help but re- be reminded of the man who told her everything and still loved her. Okay, so just I want you to focus on that for just one moment because this is one of your areas of specialty. <laughs> so uh, Angela has a whole degree on this subject of uh, how to use outdoor things to impress thoughts, ideas, education, teachings into people's minds. How does it actually work? And what is Jesus actually doing here? Well, the thing is that we often, unfortunately, put spiritual things just in our head and we just philosophically talk about them. But the way that Jesus taught, if you look at um, all throughout the Gospels, he was constantly using things that people saw and touched and interacted with constantly, right? And so here you have this woman who is dependent on water every day. For the rest of her life, she will need to go to some well and get water. And how can she not, every time she draws water, not think of that time? that Jesus offered her something better. And I believe that in nature, God longs to deepen our relationship with him and our understanding of him because we can't help but see trees every day, experience rain, see the sun, look through the clouds. And each and one of those things have incredible lessons that I could talk for hours about. And I just can't help but be pointed to my Savior in his created works. Yeah, absolutely. Did you get a chance yesterday to go to a quiet place and make a list of things that you're thankful for? I did. I went to Dudley Beach and I froze. <laughs> it's a really okay, so warm day, but down by the beach, it was slightly cold. <laughs> all right. So then whenever you experience cold weather from now on, mm. it can be a reminder to you. And particularly if you experience cold weather by the beach, <laughs> it can be a reminder to you of that time that you went there and made a list of all the things that you're thankful for. You know, and actually, though I was cold, um, our producer Liam actually let me borrow blankets. And so I was actually able Go, to Liam. keep somewhat warm. And so even in the midst of the cold, I had something to be thankful for because somebody had lent me blankets. Uh, amazing stuff right there. Fantastic. Okay, so this is what Jesus is doing. Now, the other thing that I think we need to, um, to, to look at before we finish this little story here is what Jesus sees in this woman. Mm. He has traveled to Samaria specifically to meet this one individual. And if I was you know, in Jesus' shoes and it's like, okay, I've been commissioned to come to earth and start a new worldwide global religion. All right, where will I start? People of power, people of influence, people who, you know, let's, let's, um, you know, let's convert some people who 
um, are you know influential people. You know, if we're going to go and do some evangelism in Samaria, let's go to the leaders of, you know, the religious leaders of Samaria. And if one of them gives their life to Jesus Christ, then surely that's going to be a, uh, a great boost to the work. No, but he Jesus chooses someone broken. Jesus goes there and chooses a really, really broken person. Yeah. And the fact that she's going to the well in the middle of the day and so forth, you know, people know that she is a broken person. And he hasn't gone to the leaders of the town. He hasn't gone to the leaders of the nation. He hasn't gone to any of that. He has gone to a broken person. Why? Because of what he sees in this woman. And she has a sense of need, which is something we talked about yesterday. A sense of need is an ever prerequisite to receiving the gifts of heaven. That's a great quote right there. That's an awesome quote. Read that again. A sense of need is an ever prerequisite to receiving the gifts of heaven. This is something that we need to recognize is our sense of need today Mm. Mm -hmm. because Jesus is there for every single one of us and he is interested in each one of us as an individual. He sees the potential of what we can become. We just need to have a sense of our need of Jesus Mm. Christ.